Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? We are in a series on the life of Abraham called uh, Becoming a Friend of God. I'm very excited about today. Hope you, I hope you are too. Here we go. Genesis 12, 1 through 4. The Lord had said to Abram, Abram was his name before God changed it to Abraham. We'll talk about that later. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. I want us to focus on just that little phrase. Abraham went out as God told him, as God spoke to him, and Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your great love. Thank you for this burning word that is on my heart, and God, hide me behind the cross so that we can see Jesus, hear Jesus, and respond to Jesus today. Let this be truly be your day, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is Companion or Friend. Abraham, of course, is called the friend of God throughout Scripture and three different times. And there can be a an idea, a presumption that we all must be God's friends because we believe in God or we serve God at some level. And that simply isn't true. And that's point one is is the possibility of being a companion but not a close friend of God. So Lot is an interesting character. He, there's a lot to learn from Lot about what not to do. Lot goes along. Three times it says in Genesis 12 and 13 that Abraham did something and Lot went with him. Lot was just kind of along for the ride. He is very passive in his relationship with God. Abraham, everywhere Abraham goes, he makes an altar. Every experience he has, he makes an altar. We don't have Lot building a single altar. We don't have Lot having a single encounter with God. And so we can, he's just kind of along. He's just kind of along for the ride. He is a companion of God more than a friend of God. So here's what happened to me in March. I get a text message saying, would you come to my birthday party? And I don't know who it's from. I I look at the number. I'm trying to figure out the number. Who possibly, you know how you can look at past, this is the only text I've ever received from him. Would you come to my birthday? birthday party. Well, I always like an invitation, and so I write back this. I text back this. Yes, I can text. Um, (laughs) I text back, uh, I'm honored that you would ask, who is this? (laughs) So he sends back his name, and it's a guy named Dave who was a high school companion. He wasn't really a friend, but he sat at our table, and, and so I'm like, 
you know what? I think I know who's behind this. We had a mutual friend named Joe, and I called Joe. Joe lives in Minnesota, and I said, hey, I got invited to this birthday party. He said, yeah, I know all about it. He said, yeah, I gave him your information. And I'm like, okay, all right. Now, to understand my relationship with Dave, you have to go back to me in high school, okay? High school was brutal for me. I did not go through puberty until my junior year, and so I was like five foot four as a freshman, and I'm on the basketball team, but everybody else has hair under their arm. I, I don't. And so I'm very, I'm very self-conscious, and I love girls, but I'm terrified of being rejected by girls, and, and I don't really fit into any group. I'm not a top-tier jock, because I'm too small. I don't really, I'm not a druggie. I'm, I don't fit into the, to that group. And so I'm just kind of a man without a, without a group. And I mean, to show you what a misfit I was, the thing that I was most known for, I was number one person in the chess club. <laughs> so I don't, I didn't, I didn't really fit in. And of course, when you're in high school, you need somebody to hang around with. You need, you need, uh, high school is hard enough, you need somebody that you're connected to. And so this guy named Joe, who was just way cooler than me, he was a partier, he was, he was kind of athletic, but not really, he was made more kind of into music, kind of not, but for whatever reason under heaven, he liked me. He just liked me. And so I could always be with Joe. And Joe, lots of people like Joe. So Joe had a circle around him every morning. We'd meet at this table and everybody's there. And Friday night, uh, Joe wanted me along. Who knows why? And everybody else like put up with me. It's like, we don't know why he's here, but we like Joe. And so I guess he can come too. And so Dave was one of these guys that was just a companion. We never had a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but he was around. He was on the fringes, and so I knew of him, but I'm getting invited to his birthday, which he lives in Virginia. He's coming back to Milton in his mom and dad's house, who are passed away now, and he's having a birthday party, and I'm invited to it, and I'm like... And Joe says, yes, I will go. And I'm like, okay, I'll go too. So, so I go, and it's a, it's a little awkward, but it's fine. And some of my other companions are there too. They got invited too. And, and, and it was just, it was, it was a good day, and it was a birthday party. So I decided to bring for a gift to Dave my devotional, one thing. And so I write a nice little note in it and give him the devotional, and that's that. So two weeks ago, I get a text from Dave, and he says this. Of course, I had no idea where he was spiritually or what, I mean, the way we were then, oh my, you know, probably not. Anyway, I get a, I get a text from Dave, and he says this. Hey, I'm, I'm through January in your devotional, and I, I, I love it. And he said, I'm, we're moving back in the fall, and I'd really like to get together. Now, how many know that you can go from just being a companion to being a friend? You, you, can, you can take a relationship to another level. You can actually pursue a companion 
to become a friend. So I want you to think about these two Greek words in the New Testament for friendship. When I say that, they're both translated friend, but you're going to see that they mean very different things. One of the Greek words is phylos, and it means a close, intimate friend. This is the word Jesus uses when he, in John 15, 15, when he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, because a servant doesn't know what the master's doing. I'm telling you what I'm doing, and, and that is a sign of close friendship. Well, there's another word, heteros, which is also translated friend. And it's only used three times in the New Testament, all in the Gospel of Matthew. And one of them is the word Jesus uses about Judas. Judas comes to betray him. He kisses him on the cheek. And Jesus says these words to him, friend, heteros, uh, do what you came to do. And this word would probably be better translated companion. It's somebody that's with you, but doesn't really know you and doesn't really share your values. You'll see the definition as I give you the two other times it's used. It's used in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus is telling this story about the kingdom of God, and it's like this this owner that hires people to work in his company, and he hires some at 9 a.m. and some at noon and some at three, and then there's this last group he hires at five o'clock. They only work for one hour, and when this master goes to pay them, he starts with the people that only worked that last hour, and he pays them as if they had worked the whole day. And the guy that's been working since nine o'clock says, this is not, this is absolutely not right that you would pay him He only worked one hour. I've worked all day long. And then the word is heteros. Friend, why are you upset? I haven't cheated you. You got what what you signed up for. Are you angry that I'm generous? This is very similar to the older brother. The older brother is outside the party. He's angry. The father comes out to him. And the father says, why are you out here? And he says, Here's why I'm angry, because this son of yours squandered your wealth, he's been out in loose living and, and, and doing his own thing, and now he comes back and you have a party for him, you wonder why I'm angry, and here's what the father says to him. He says, son, it, it's, not even, it's, not about, it's not about what he did wrong. It's not about sin. My heart is not about sin. This, the party is about my redemption. He was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive again. We have to rejoice. My heart is not what you guys have done wrong. It's, it's, it's what I want to do for you. And so you've, you, you've got this picture of somebody that's a child of God, but they don't share the values of their father. This is, this is kind of the heteros relationship. Well, the third one is in Matthew 22. And once again, it's, it's the kingdom of God is like a king that, and his son is getting married. And so he invites people to the wedding and, and some can't come. And so he invites others and, and, and then they're at the wedding and there is one guy, in, a, in weddings in those days, when it was a royal wedding, part of the invitation is the king would give you the clothes that you were supposed to wear to the wedding. And he finds somebody there that sticks out because they, they, they're not wearing the clothes that were, were given to him. And he says, friend, 
how did you get in here without wedding clothes? An acquaintance, but doesn't value the wedding clothes that were provided for him. Companions, but not friends. So let's think about for a moment the children of Israel. Psalm 103, verse 7. God reveals his ways to Moses and his deeds to the children of Israel. Moses took the friendship to another level. Moses said, if I have found favor with you, teach me your ways. I want to know why you do what you you do. I want to know what you value. I want to know who you are. And he he became this friend. We looked at it a couple weeks ago where it says that, that God spoke to Moses face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. Moses became a friend of God. The children of Israel... We're only companions. They didn't want to be friends. They, they said up front, don't speak to us. <laughs> you speak to Moses, we're afraid of you. You speak to Moses, Moses will speak to us, that's good enough. And so they got exactly what they asked for. Here's what they wanted from God. They, they wanted food, they wanted water, they wanted meat, they wanted deliverance when they were in trouble, and they wanted God to take them into this promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. That's what they wanted from God. They never asked for more, and they didn't get any more. They were companions, but not friends. So here's the, here is the big question today. Are you a companion of God or are you his friend? James, in James chapter four, he writes to Christians and he says, he says to them, he he gives them a question. Did you not know that to be a friend of the world is going to put you at enmity with God? He's asking them to evaluate their heart because he says, here's why it doesn't work to just be God's companion. He says in the next verse in James 4, he says, he's jealous. And the spirit that he's put in us jealously longs for this friendship with God. And so that's kind of the question on the table. Am I God's friend or am I just his companion? All right, here's point two. The danger of only being a companion. The danger of being passive in your faith and just kind of going along, just kind of, just kind of going with the flow. You're, you're kind of with God, but you're, you're not aggressive about it. You're not, you're not earnest about it. You're just kind of going with the flow. Here's, here's, there, there are two dangers of being only a companion. First, you will be ineffective and unfruitful in your faith. Here's 2 Peter 1, 8 and 9. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 2 Peter 1 has got all these qualities we're supposed to add to our faith with diligence. We're supposed to, to your faith, add virtue to your virtue, add knowledge or, or intimacy, and then add brotherly love and brotherly kindness, and just there's a whole list. Patience is in there. And, and we're supposed to be adding these to our faith. He says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So you can have a genuine faith in God, but if you're only a companion, you can be ineffective and unfruitful. And if there's anything that Lot is an example of, It is this. So here's what happens. Genesis 14, 
the flocks become so big that the herdsmen of Lot are arguing with the herdsmen of Abraham. And, God, and so Abraham gets together with Lot and says, let's not argue in front of the Canaanites. Something more important than which land I have, and that's God's name. Let's not argue in front of the world. He's, and he says to Lot, you choose. You choose whatever, whichever way you want to go. You choose. Uh, you go that way, and I'll go the other way. So I want to give you two things Lot doesn't say back to him. First, he does not say this. Listen, Abraham, you're older. This, is, this was your mission to start with. You get to choose first. I want to honor you. You choose first. Doesn't say that. Here's the other thing it doesn't say. It doesn't say, so Lot, Lot built an altar and he asked God, God, where should I go? What, what, what are you giving me? Here's what it says. So Lot looked and he chose for himself. This land that looked really good, that was near Sodom. Sodom was a very wicked city, but the land was really good. And that is what Lot chose for himself. Trust me, folks, you don't want to choose for yourself. This is very similar to Eve choosing the tree because it's desirable and it looks good. And, and I, I'm going to choose that one because that's, that's the one I want. Trust me, you don't want to choose for yourself. Lot chooses for himself. The next chapter, he goes into captivity. Sodom gets attacked by, by four armies that overtake. Sodom's army is linked with other people, and they're all linked. And Lot goes immediately into being a captive. And Abraham stirs up the 318 men in his house, and they go after him. And they, they get Lot back. That's the first time Abraham saves him. The second time is in... <laughs> Genesis 19, God says, Sodom is so bad that, that my judgment is going to come. And so Abraham prays to God. And in chapter 19, verse 29, it says that God rescued Lot out. He, remem he remembered Abraham and rescued Lot out of Sodom. Now, isn't that odd? Shouldn't it say he remembered Lot and rescued Lot? No. God remembered Abraham. His friend asked him to do something, and he's like, my fr friendship means something to me, and he's asked me to do this, so yeah, I'll save Lot out of there for you, and he rescues Lot out. Lot has this ineffective relationship with God, and he's very unfruitful in his, his influence on others. His two son-in-laws, when the angels come and say, listen, judgment is going to fall. You guys need to get out of here. So Lot goes to his son-in-laws and they think he's joking. And so they don't come with him. They end up getting destroyed in Sodom. His wife, they are told by the angels, don't turn around. There's judgment coming. Do not look back. Lot's wife looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. And she is forever remembered. Jesus himself warns, uh, remember Lot's wife. Don't live looking back. So then he's got these two daughters that come with him. He asked to, to, to go to this small city on the side. It means, it's Zoar. It means small. But even while they're living in Zoar, Lot is so afraid that he moves to the mountains and he lives, ends up living in a cave, a very small place because of fear. And his girls live with him and end up getting him drunk and committing incest. And it turns out that even though we're going to see in just a moment that Lot did make it to heaven, his children, Moab and Ammon, his descendants become enemies of God, which is usually the case 
If you are just a companion, you're just barely, the next generation is going to go farther away than even you went. And so he's got, he's got faith, but it's, it's ineffective and unfruitful. So that's one danger of being companion. The second one actually is more serious than that. The second one, I'll just read it to you, 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail, fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you are diligent, if you are earnest, if you give effort, then you are going to make it. You won't fall away and you'll get a rich welcome in the kingdom of heaven. This one is about heaven and hell. Now, I thank God that Lot made it. 2 Peter 2.7 says, Lot, God imputed righteousness to Lot. God rescued Lot. Lot will be in heaven. You will see, if you make it to heaven, you will see Lot there. Praise God, I'm so thrilled that Lot made it to heaven. Barely made it, but he made it. Praise God. And on the other hand, we know Judas didn't make it. Jesus said it would be better for, for Judas to have never been born because he, he, he didn't make it. You say, well, okay, well, that's 50-50. Maybe if I'm just a companion, maybe I'll, you know, I'll take my chances. Well, it's not, it's not that good. It's, not, it's worse than that. Because Jesus says, in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 7, he said, the path to life is narrow and few are those that find it. And then later in the chapter, verses 22 and 23, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, that will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he says, they're going to say in that day, we prophesied in your name, we did miracles in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, I never knew you. And the word for know there is genosko. It means intimately. You never intimately knew me. He doesn't say you never met me. He said you never knew me. These are people that met Jesus. They prayed the prayer and then tried to use Jesus for their own ends. And they did stuff in his name and and they even saw the anointing working in his name because God will anoint anybody. God can anoint a donkey, just so we understand that. Um, God, just because God, you've seen God use you in different ways, don't, don't deceive yourself. Jesus is calling you not just to believe in him, but to follow him. And so this is a group that believes in Jesus. They start with Jesus, but they don't ever follow Jesus, and they have this surprise at the judgment day. Now, this is probably the scariest scripture for pastors because I don't want anybody that's in my congregation to be surprised at the judgment day. Pastor Tom said we were going to make it, and we're not making it. Pastor Tom said that I was forgiven, and that I was in, and that God loved me, and that Jesus saved me, and, and now here I am wondering why I'm not making it. And it's just very dangerous to be a companion and not go on to be a friend of God. And so what I'm asking for, for all of you, is uh, that you would make your funeral a delight to preach. So pastors are asked to do funerals. 
And so we have to, we, we do interviews when the, when the funeral is coming and it's just really hard to do these ones where what was what was his favorite scripture and they're like well you know he didn't really he didn't really have a favorite scripture but we want you to read this poem and then like what songs should we have well he didn't really like or know hymns or those worship choruses but here's a country song that mentions heaven that's a tough funeral to do, guys. That's just a, that's a hard funeral. You're, you're making it really, really hard on me. Now, did that person make that? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he prayed the prayer or maybe he did. But I want you to make it easy. It says be diligent, be earnest, add work on your faith, pursue God, and then you will receive a rich welcome into heaven. I want the rich welcome. I want the really easy funeral for the preacher. So last year, I got a call from our next-door neighbor in Milton, and uh, her husband had passed, and he was my dad's best friend on the earth. He was, played piano, they, they played music together, just a great guy, and his wife's name was Jan, and Jan says, Tommy, which I'm known in Milton as Tommy, Tommy, uh, Dave would really... He, he just, he, we watched you online. He loved your, pre- he wants you to speak at his funeral. Would you be willing to speak at his funeral? I'm like, are you kidding me? What an honor. What a privilege. She said, I only have one question. I'm like, okay. Could you wear a suit? They, they had only seen me preach online with blue jeans on. I'm like, Jan, I own a suit. I only do funerals in suits. Don't worry, you're covered. And so... So you talk about an easy funeral. Oh my. This guy just lived his faith all the time. He was always with the poor. He was always welcoming people. He was always reaching out. The, it, we, the, the kids all give testimony and then they bring other people up and everybody's like, this is an amazing guy. He's done this, this, this. And everything he was doing was in secret. And so it's all proclaimed at the, at the funeral. The place is absolutely jammed with overflow. They've got the, because this guy's life spoke of the goodness of God. And then I got to be the one to step up and say, because everybody's like, if you have to be as good as Dave was to get to heaven, I don't think I'm gonna make it. And I'm like, guys, I want you to know something. For all of Dave's goodness, that's not how he got to heaven. That's not how he had an assurance to get to heaven. It's, because getting to heaven isn't about how good you are, it's about how good Jesus was. And it was about his sacrifice on the cross. And, and, and yes, Dave, but this is such an easy funeral to do. Where you, everybody knows where he is. Everybody is absolutely sure he's in heaven. And then the preacher just gets up and give a voice because it was already lived out in front of the world. And so I'm urging all of you, please, could you make your funeral easy? All right, so that's point two. We're almost done. Here's, here's point three. The reward of being a friend. Hebrews eleven six and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So God has a reward for those who seek him. Those who are earnest, those who choose friendship, those who say, hey, I've read your book, I'd like to get together. Could we take this to another level? 
that God has a reward for those people. Here's, what he, here's how Jesus describes it. He said, if you will pray to your father in secret, if you will earnestly seek him, if you'll earnestly desire him, he will reward you openly. He will, he will show other people outwardly that you have sought him privately. There is a reward for those who earnestly seek God and who pursue him for more. God knows that we live in a world that puts you to sleep spiritually. It, it, is, it makes you passive. Just living in this world that's so busy with so many other things and so energetic about many other things, but, but it puts you to sleep spiritually. And the Father knows that. He knows that we live in a very dark world right now and that most people aren't serving him or aren't seeking him. So when somebody in the midst of that darkness says, God, I want you and I'm coming after you, God says, all right, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna reward you. I'm gonna bless you because of that. So there are many rewards, but I'm gonna just give you two. This is Genesis 15, verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So here's what happens in Genesis 14. So Abraham goes out with the 318 men in his home, and his neighbors, and they do a surprise attack on these four armies, and they, they scatter them, and they get all of this plunder, and they bring it back, and, but they did not wipe out the opposing army. They just scattered them. So you can imagine how afraid he is. These, these, these troops have been humiliated by this guy. He is on their blacklist. They want to take Abraham out. And so, they're, they're, I mean, you, you, when people are after you, you got, you, you got to watch your back, man. It, you can't enjoy anything because, and God, God comes to him and says this, I've got your back. You don't need to be afraid. I am your shield. You are free to go anywhere you want to. You do not need to worry about somebody getting you. I myself am your shield. This is what God does for his friends. He says, I, I, will, I will cover you. I will protect you. I, one of my favorite verses about Abraham comes in Genesis 21. Listen to this. At that time, Abimelech, who was a king, and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. So while Lot is living in fear in this cave, Abraham is just going wherever he wants to in the land, and I think it's hilarious. This king comes with his general and says, listen, we don't know how this all works, but God is with you, and that makes us very nervous. And would you mind signing an agreement that says you won't hurt us? And Abraham's like, yeah, whatever. See, when you're a friend of God, you can go wherever you Wherever, wherever you go, you don't have to be afraid. You can go anywhere you want to. 
But there's a second, there's a second reward. God says, I am your exceedingly great reward. The greatest reward you can get is more of God. More revelation of who he is. More revelation of of who he wants to be to you. Guys, the reason reason why the earth is so small compared to the rest of the universe, and the universe, I mean, they're just learning how massive the universe is. The reason why it's like that is not to make you feel small. It's so that you and I know how big God is. That, that is a picture, not so that we feel really, really small, but so that we know God is like, I'm big. I am, I am big. You've never had a friend like me. I have created all of this. And those who see clearly recognize the greatest gift God gives is himself. Moses was offered to go into the land with an angel and, and he'd have all the blessings of the, of the land and Moses says, nope, not doing it, not doing it. I'm not going without you. What else distinguishes us from everybody else except your presence? Not going anywhere unless you go with us. And God's like, that's my boy. That's my boy. God himself is the greatest prize. And there's nothing greater than getting more from him. So we went to the National Convention. Uh, Lots of the staff went to, it was in San Diego, it was probably a month ago. They had speakers every morning and every night and we were in meetings all the time. But the last morning they had communion and there was a pastor named Mark Bratrude who was leading communion, and he, he said, I want to I take you to John chapter 14, where there is this Greek word, erkamai, and it means come, and there are four comes in John chapter 14, and it was right before communion. We're going to have communion today, and so here's what he said. He said there was one come that was about right now, that, that was personal only for the disciples. And he said, you're going you're gonna to weep. I'm going to be, be taken away. You're going to weep. You're going to cry. And then I'm going to come to you and you are going to rejoice. Speaking of his resurrection and that they were going to see him because he was going to come physically and appear to them. And that was just for them then. But then there's a second come. And this is in John 14, 3. And it's in the context of Jesus saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Uh, There are many rooms in my father's house. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. And I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come, or come I, again, so that where I am, you can be too. This is, and he said, this is a future coming, and it is a forever coming. It is future, I will be with you, and we will be together forever. That's a promise for every believer. And then there's a third come. And this one is about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, John 14, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to come to you by this helper, the Holy Spirit. He is going to come. He's going to live inside of you. He's going to be with you all the time. And he said, that's a present continual. So we've got a future and forever. Then we have this present continual. And then this third one for believers is a conditional coming. 
In John 14, 21, he says, if you love me and obey me out of love, then my Father will love you and we will manifest ourselves. We will reveal ourselves to you. He says, my Father and I will come, Urkamai, and we will make our home in you. There's, there's a future home coming prepared for us, but there is a present promise of the Father and the Son living at home now in us. It's a conditional promise based on loving obedience. It's, it's not an obedience out of fear. It's not an obedience that I'm, I'm going to obey you so that I can get something, get a blessing, or an obedience that is so that I don't get punished. It's not out of trying to get a, a blessing or trying to get a, a stay away from punishment. It is, a, it is obedience because I love you so much. Those that obey in that way, they're, the Father's going to reveal bigger stuff. There's going to be a manifestation and you will actually become a home on earth of the very presence of God, the very Father and the very Son. This is the fear of God where it's not, I'm afraid if I get out of line, God's going to strike me. This is the fear of God that says this, I am afraid of disappointing him because he's my friend. I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to grieve him. I, I want to please him. I don't care if I look stupid in front of people. I'm going to, I just need to please him because he is my best friend. God says, mm, I'm going to manifest myself to, to them. I want to tell you what happened this morning. So right before I get up this morning, I have a dream. And if you've been around here a while, you know I have a history with hot tubs. I have a history where like things happen, God, I have God encounters in hot tubs, and that's a whole nother sermon. But in this dream, I am, I'm not in the hot tub, I'm watching people in this hot tub, but it's like no hot tub I've ever seen. They are in this hot tub, and I don't know how I know it, but I've got all this special knowledge about the water in this hot tub. This, this hot tub, it's this special salty water. And just sitting in this hot tub heals you. It heals you not just on the inside it, 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 or on the outside, but it heals like trauma. It, people in this water become healed, but it's more than that. It also gives them courage to do what's right. People start wanting to do the right thing because they've been in this hot tub. Now, even though I'm only seeing this one group, there is, I've just, I've got this thought. I'm like, oh my, this water is the answer for America. We need to get this in every home. We need to get this in every tub. We need to, we, this, this, it, this will actually change America because you get healed in it, and, but you're also given courage to do the right thing when you're, when you're out there. The, the, it, it's this special, special water, and I'm just fascinated by this water. And I wake up, and I'm like, oh, my, you know what today is? It's Pentecost. This, this is about the Holy Spirit. 
this is like, there is this water available and all you need to do is soak in it and you start getting healed. And you spend enough time in that water and you, you just want to do what's right. I mean, it was so weird that people in a hot tub, the, the water would make them want to be good. It's like, that's so weird. But did you know that that's what the Holy Spirit does? The Christian life is a bunch of duties without the Holy Spirit. It's all have tos. Have to do this, have to do that, have to do that. Holy Spirit gets in, all of a sudden it's want to. Ooh, I want to. Ooh, it's an adventure. Ooh, I'm excited. It's Pentecost Sunday. Did anybody enjoy last week's service with the kids leading? Here's what we've learned about our children. There's not a junior Holy Spirit. That, that, that the children are being prepared so someday they can... No, God's into this right now. Children can be in the presence of God. Families can be in the presence of God. This is the answer for this generation. Tonight we have a River Rising meeting at six o'clock. I never like to go to guilt in any way, shape, or form, and I understand we're all busy, we've all got stuff going on, but listen, if you can come out and soak in the presence of God tonight with your kids, well, I don't think my kids will be good. Well, maybe they'll start wanting to be good if they're in his presence. Hello. Anyway, um, (laughs) we don't care if they're a little naughty. To bring out your family and say, my family is going to experience the presence of God. My kids are going to grow up with a want to. Because the river rising, the river rising is, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's in Ezekiel 47. It's the, it's the river of God. Guys, when the river of God is ankle deep, you, you are still in complete control. <laughs> you can get a little water on, but you get in and out however you want to. But when the river rises, the river becomes more and more in control. And this is what these great awakenings that we've had in this country are. It's when the river gets so high that the river is just flowing everywhere. And Jesus is not just the talk of the church. He's the talk of the bars because, because there's healings breaking out. There's deliverances breaking out. This, this is the river rising now. But the funny thing about God's presence is, I say, well, God wants to do that. Why doesn't he just do it? It's not how he works. His presence has to be valued. It has to be sought over. He will, he will give you an option to do it without his presence. He will give the church an option to do it without his presence. Somebody's going to have to say, we don't want to do it without you. And be earnest about it. It's like, we're not interested in our best effort. We want you. We want you. We value you. We are willing to put time in. We, we, we need this healing water, this, this presence that heals us and makes us courageous and changes us. And, and frankly, I remember the dream. I'm like, this is the answer for everybody. They're like, this is, this could make America. We need to get the water into every home. <laughs> we have the answer, guys. First, we need to let Pentecost penetrate us. Lord, thank you that you come like a loud shout when we're asleep to wake us up. <laughs> And Lord, when we're already awake, you come with a a whisper and you say, come higher. I've got more for you. Lord, I think everybody in this place would agree with me today. Jesus, please, we don't want to just be your companion. We want to be your friend. And I think we're equally convinced that 
Apart from the Holy Spirit, we're not going to do this. So Spirit of God, would you come? Where things are wrong, show us and let us come into alignment and receive your forgiveness right now. Thank you that you're generous. Thank you that you want to forgive us. It's not, your heart is not about our sin and how we feel. Your heart is about your redemption and about what you want to do in and through us. Please, God.